morning, church. It's good to be in God's house, isn't it? Come on, let's clap. It's good to be here, isn't it? Does that song make anyone else laugh or is it just me? Oh my goodness. Well, hey, if you're here for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're with us today and everyone joining us online. Um, good morning. Welcome for those that are joining us for the first time. And um, a good morning to everyone at the SCI Chester Institute in partnership with God Behind Bars. Let's show some love to them this morning. Fantastic. Are you ready to get into the Bible today and um, read some of God's Word? We're going to be reading out of 1 John. If you have your Bibles or your phones, whatever, you can turn to 1 John. Um, and we're going to get into the Word of God today, and we're going to talk about this topic of love. Can everybody say love? I know it's Valentine's Day, and there is so much stuff um, circulating about love. And um, my wife and I were talking the other day, and we said, do you remember in high school when um, Valentine's Day would come and everyone would, uh, you know bring in flowers or balloons and cards and, and all those things. And I, I remember that and, and we, we had a, a good talk about it because uh, in our culture today, you see the word love expressed all the time. It's said all the time and, and even within younger people and older people, it's like, hey, I love you and, and everyone is just spreading the love and we're writing cards. Now, m most of the time we say, well, there's nothing wrong with that. But I think we have an obligation to teach our children in the ways of the word of God and really instruct them in what is love? Really, what is it? And, and what, is, what is the world's conception of, or a definition of love? And it's so important. And if we're not careful, I think we'll buy um, the fake. And I don't want you to do that. I want you to understand what, the God, what God's word says in regards to love. Psalm 68, verse five through six. And before we get into 1 John, I'm gonna share a few verses. It says, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. Last week, we talked about how important family is to God. Um, and it's important to God because he designed the family. And there's strength in the family. Not perfection in the family, but there's strength within the family. And there are roles within the family. And the roles are designed in such a way to add strength and unity within the family. And I love that. It's a perfect picture of who God is. And if you understand why there is such an attack against the family today, it's because um, anytime the enemy, our adversary, Satan, sees people honoring what God established in the family, um, the reason the enemy can't stand that um, is because it's a reflection of God and he can't stand God. And so he does everything that he can to pervert and distort that which God puts in place which is the family, um, the husband, the wife, the children. And he does everything he can to destroy that. And we're living in a time today in our culture where the, where the world is, is coming back and saying, hey, I'd like to redefine every aspect of what God has already done. And we know as believers in Jesus, um, God is the ultimate authority. He is our creator. We are the created beings, not the creator. And we submit ourselves, we surrender ourselves under his authority. Why? Because we're forced to? No, because we first recognized his love for us and we respond to that love. Can you say amen? And as you journey with God, I, this is something that I don't believe you can just casually think about for five minutes and then just let it go. This is going to be an ongoing process in your journey with Jesus to understand how much he really loves you. And I really believe every time you open the word of God, you're giving yourself an opportunity to have a greater revelation of who he is, basically meaning of how much he really loves you. And when you do that, it'll change the way that you are able to love other people. This 
culture that we're living in today is not one that we should, and maybe I should back up. When, when I say culture, I don't want anyone who is covered by the blood of Jesus Christ to have a sense of fear when we say the world and culture. I hope you don't. I hope you don't get fearful and overwhelmed and, and worried about it. Christ says, in this world, you will have trouble. That's what he said. And we, we see that, but then he says, but take heart. Why? Because I have overcome the world. So Christ has already won. And he's won in such a way that he calls us to live a life, not in fear and not in depression and anxiety, but one with confidence, with faith, and with strength. That's what he's called us to. And so when I say the world, I don't want you to say, oh, the world. No, I want you to recognize we have an adversary, and I want you to see his tactics. I want you to see them because if you're not careful, you will, you will, you'll slide right into believing and seeing the things that the way that the world sees them. And you'll say like many people do, well, it just seems right. It just seems right. Can I tell you, there are many things that seem right to me as a pastor, but they're not right to God. And so I have surrendered my opinion to his authority and I realign my behaviors, my thoughts, my attitude, my language to be in alignment with him. 1 John 4, 7 and 8, he begins by addressing the church, or, or the, begins by writing, I should say, rather, as this realignment of, of love and the way that we should see it. And he, he, he focuses heavily on on the love that God has towards us. And he begins by saying this, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. I am not a uh, in-depth theologian to all those things, but I do study the scripture. And I remember in, in seminary learning a few Greek words. I actually had to learn a lot. And if you don't use language often, you tend to forget it quickly. But I remember this word, gnosko, and it is this word used here, to know. And it basically means to have an experience, an experiential knowledge of something. And how many of you can, can recall the moment when you just kind of had an experience to know that you knew that God was real, that, that God was present in your life. Did anyone ever have a moment like that where you're like, no, I know there's something. Is too many coincidences going on in my life. I can't attribute it all. I just know that I know that I know God is present in my life. And the scripture here says that everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. They know God. Whoever does not love does not know God. So we're seeing a distinction here, right? We're seeing a divergence in the past. Those who do not love don't know God, but those who love do know God. Well, we're gonna find that he's going to discern or, or, or clearly articulate what, what type of love are we talking about here? What type of love are we talking about? Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And uh, many of you may know this, it's not, God is not someone who just displays actions of love. He just does not feel love. It's not just an emotional description. It's in his nature. It's who he is. God is love. And we learn through scripture that he's more than just love. We can see in Hebrews 12, it says that God is a consuming fire. In 1 John 1, 5, it says God is light. It's not just what he does in his action, it's who he is in his being. 
It's the immutability. It's the unchanging nature of God. He is light. He is a consuming fire. He is love. Now, what I want you to be aware of is how the world tells you you need to display this word that they often will use as love. And this, is, this is interesting, and I want you to get this, because many times, even as believers, we'll find ourselves in conversations with people and we'll say, you know, I just, I just want to love them. Well, how do we do that? What does it look like? Like, what does love really look like? Does it look like just a, a, a card that tells someone how much you love them? Is it a dinner? Is it a gift? Is it, it, what, what is love? Like, what really is it? Well, the Word of God actually defines love. And I always go back to John 14, 15, because it's so important to me, because so many people say, you know, God just called me to love. Well, no, he didn't. He actually says in John 14, 15, that if you love him, if you love him, you won't be filled with all these emotions of happiness and, and joy all the time. It's everything going to be easy. No, he says, if you love him, you're going to obey his commands. And a lot of times the, the obedience to his commands come with a lot of like refining, <laughs> purifying, trusting, walking out in faith. You know, it's the, it's the simple things of like, hey, you need to forgive that person. Yeah, I just don't want to, you know. Hey, you need to start, you need to start using words of kindness and affirmation. Yeah, I just don't want to. You need to start loving and serving other people. Yeah, I just don't feel like it. I love how the word of God doesn't say, hey, do, do what makes you feel good. That's not in there, okay? It's not in there. The Word of God says that if we love God, if we love God, we obey His commands. Now, this is what culture does. Culture goes into Scripture, and they in some way try to reinterpret through a poor hermeneutic or the interpretation of Scripture. They take what God commands, and they try to twist it enough to make them feel good so they don't have to change. And they say, oh, okay, yeah, I can obey that command. You're like, no, 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 no. You don't have the privilege or the authority to just take what God has ordained in his creation and say, yeah, I just don't like that one, and I just want to twist it. And so God says that if we love him, we'll obey his commands. Now, this is interesting because what does that mean then, that our love is merely nothing but works and just, yes, God, and just walking around like drones? No. The Bible actually unpacks this in a more clearer way, and I want you to be very, very attentive as we go through this, because I want you to get this before we go today. In John 14, 21, he continues, and he says, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And so I want you to know something. When God sees you, God doesn't measure your love towards him. There's, there's not like this scale. Like God's love towards us is unchanging. It's, it doesn't be like, oh, you screwed up again. Let me find somebody else, you know. Oh, you know, you're, you're like a six. You're like a two. You're, no, no, that's not, not how God does it. God, God loves us unconditionally. It's this agape love, as Scripture defines it. It's this love with no expectation, with no contingencies. There's no, there's no expectation of a return. It's just this, I love you. Why? Because it's who I am. That's it. And we struggle with that. 
We struggle with that. We often don't even know how to receive it, let alone respond to it. And if we don't receive it well, I don't believe we can really honor God in loving other people. Because then this is what happens. Because love, in its essence, is not void of truth. You understand? Like, you can't say, well, I love someone, but I just don't want to tell them what the Bible says. Wait a second. If you love them, why withhold something that sets them free? Well, I just don't want them to feel. There's that feels word coming back into the conversation. No, if we really love somebody, man, we, we lead them to truth with grace. That's what love is. This word, to know God, is important doesn't mean that some people are superior in their knowledge of God. God pursues all of us passionately because he loves all of us. And John continues in this and talks about how love and relationships should be structured. Have you ever heard, I remember early on when, when I was, um, when Liza and I were in um, some classes um, before we got married, I remember the triangle. Um, do, you, do you remember this? There's, there's uh, you and your spouse, and the way that you'll get closer to one another relationally in every aspect is if you both pursue God. And as you both pursue God, um, you'll get closer together. Now, that doesn't seem natural because it seems like we are not attentive to one another, but what that description or that diagram suggests to you is that in order for you to get where you want to go, you have to fix your eyes on Jesus. And you're like, yeah, but I, I, I want to, no, 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 fix your eyes on Jesus. Why? It's because the only way that you really have the capacity to love is if you understand how deeply he loves you. And once you understand how deeply he loves you, then you'll, able, you'll be able to love other people in the way that he loved us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 through 12, we're going to read this section. It says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. This is love, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. That he, what did he do because he loved the world so much? That he gave. He gave. It is, this, it is this demonstration of sacrificial love of God. Love is sacrificial. This is what God is, is teaching us in the word, that love isn't selfish. It's not about, well, if I do this, I want to just protect myself, and, and I'm in it for this, and I like it because of this. No, no, that's not the love that God's talking about here. His love is sacrificial. I love in Ephesians 5, it's, it can usually ruffle some people's feathers because people read it out of context all the time. And, and they, they'll read parts just about the man um, and the woman or just the woman submitting to the man. And it's talking about the dynamic of marriage. But I love this picture of how God defines the authority of a man, but not only the authority of a man in his responsibility to a, protect the family, but in the nature of how a man should love his wife. And in Ephesians 5, it actually says, husbands, you should love your wives the way that Christ loved the church. Now, if you stop there, it would be overwhelming enough, but it doesn't. It says, husbands, you should love your wives the way that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. If Christ died for the church, you should love your wife in such a way to selflessly sacrifice your own life for her. 
That's the sacrificial love that Christ is talking about. That's it. And this is as how John begins to put it. He says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. What is atoning? It, it means satisfactory, sufficient for our sins. We use this word um, reconciled or reconciliation, that God reconciled us to himself through Christ. How did he do that? Well, what does that mean, rather? It means he restored the relationship that was damaged or destroyed or disrupted because of our sin. We see sin manifested in our humanity, in our selfishness. That's why when we use this word, well, I just love you, and I, and I, just, and, and I love this about you, and I love this, the word can be cheapened if it's related to the word of God. And the Bible teaches us how we should, we should use this and understand it. And I really believe the only way that our understanding of love changes towards one another is if we first understand his love towards us. And then it will begin to change. He says, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, I shared with you last week, and I often share it every Sunday because I think it's so important. And if there's any type of scriptures that you should learn, we, you should learn scriptures um, that have to do with God's love towards you and sharing your journey with Jesus with other people. Right now, I'm teaching in the college a class on evangelism and church growth, and it's such a a wonderful class and so many um, different experiences represented in that class. And we talk often about scripture and how important scripture is and what we need to memorize and have it in us. And, and this is one of those verses. And we're smiling because I said, we, if, if you really want to see the, the essence of God's love, it's, it's, in, it's in Romans 5.8. And, and I said, I, I remember the associations of, of verses in a peculiar way, and sometimes they're embarrassing, but I, I said it to you last week, this is that, that but God verse. This is the big but God verse for me. And, and the reason being is because this is the essence of God's love towards humanity. And for some reason, this verse always hits me personally. It always hits me in such a way to where like, well, this, it's not just a declaration over all humanity, though it is, it's something so specific and personal to each one of us. But God demonstrates his love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is sacrificial love. That's love with no expectation of return. That's love saying, I love you enough to bankrupt heaven and send my one and only son to bleed and die on a cross in his humanity. It's why he came, but he still was tormented by the very thought of hanging on a cross. If you see the moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, he pleaded with the Father, if there is any other way, if there is any other way, the agony and the torment of what he endured for you while you were still a sinner, serving yourself, consumed with yourself, consumed about what you could accomplish and what you could obtain and where you could go and what you could do in life. And that is not the love of God. God's love is sacrificial and it is giving. And why is this so important for us to get? Because we will not serve one another in a way that reflects his love towards us if we don't understand it. 
We say love one another, it's like giving someone a high five. No, it's so much greater than that. It's so much more significant than that. You can't casually walk by the demonstration of God's love towards you and be unaffected by it. You can convince yourself it really has nothing to do with you and it's just, well, it's just a, a theological presentation or a religious example. No, it is an intimate display of God's love for you personally. And that's why when he says, if those who know God, it's when you have that revelation of like, listen, God's not changing but sometimes we're blinded and unable to see his love towards us. But the moment when he reveals who he is to us through people sharing their own testimony with you or, or the Holy Spirit drawing you to God, and whenever he reveals himself to you, you have a greater understanding of who he is to you. And what does that ultimately do? It bursts something, bursts something in you to be able to love other people the way that Christ loved you. He continues in verse 16 and says, and so we know and rely on the love of God, this love that he has for us. We rely on it. Of all the things to rely on today, of all the things to trust in today, of all the things to put your hope in, you, you know, sometimes we become more frustrated when people say, hey, I'm dealing with stress and anxiety. I got a lot of stuff going on. And, and I have to tell you, when I went through a, a, a point of a real kind of, despair and anxiety and kind of depression, depressive state. I, I, I didn't want someone to ever come up to me and be like, hey, all you need to do is understand the love God has towards you. I'd be like, I'm going to fight you right now. You know, I, I, I didn't want that because there was something so complex going on. I, I, I couldn't eat. I, I, I couldn't sleep. I cried all the time. And, and I was newly married and I was like, oh, this is horrible, you know, I, I couldn't even get up on the platform. I couldn't stand in worship without weeping. And I was like, well, this is terrible. And I couldn't see any light at the end of the tunnel. To me, it was just like, well, this is, this is the, the end. I, I don't know what to do if I can't fix this. And then I had to come to this revelation that, that we're all going to walk through seasons and we all are going to have the opportunity to choose what we will focus on what we will fix our minds on, what we will look to. And I have to be honest, at the beginning of that, I, I just kept telling myself, you can do it. You can get through it. And I think that was the whole point for me, that God wanted me to get to a place in my life where I didn't say, no, I can do it, but rather get to a place and say, God, I can't do it. I can't do it. I know sometimes people say things to you like, um, God will never put stuff on you that you can't carry. And I want to tell you that that sounds good, and if it's unpacked appropriately, it, it has a, a, a partial sense of truth to it. But if you think that that means that you're going to be able to carry things apart from God, that's not what that means. That actually means that if you think you can accomplish it apart from him, you're crazy and you won't be able to carry it. And it will crush you and it will destroy you. And God needs to get you to a place to say, I can't. And you know, when we say we can, sometimes it feels like we're giving up and we've lost, but actually that's when you've actually really won. It's when you've actually stepped into the trust and into the faith dynamic to actually walk out this Christian life the way that God intended it to be walked out. Too many of you rely on your own strength. You rely on your own, in your own confidence. 
in your own abilities and talents. That won't see you through difficult seasons. It won't give you the strength to be able to stand firm when everyone else is telling you to go this way. You need to begin to develop this this trust in God that says, God, I can't do it alone. I can't. I, I can't. I can't be a, a great spouse. I can't be a great father or mother. I can't be a great leader or business person. I can't be a good neighbor. God, I need you in all things, in every conversation, in my finances, in my relationships, in my health, in my mind. God, I need you in everything. And I don't just say that to, to use God as, as a sense of an antidote just to fix me so then I can continue to serve myself. No, God, I need you. I need you in all things. And listen, this is the point of recognizing our dependency on God. When we confess that Jesus is Lord, that's what we were doing. We're saying, God, you are Lord over it all. And there is this constant tug of war between God and our our flesh. And as, soon as, and as soon as we walk in blessings from God, we become consumed with the blessing and, and less with the one who's given us the blessing. And we start to say, well, I think I can do this now. I've, I've been in church a while and I, I know scripture and I went to school and I've studied and I've done this. And arrogance can rise up. And arrogance is the one thing that says to God, God, I don't really need you. And that's where our nation is in some regard. Where we say, God, I don't need you. I'll trust in the government and I'll trust in the politicians and I'll trust in, in, in this and I'll trust in that. And, then, and God's just left there. But John instructs us, no, that we don't rely on any other thing. When you read that and say, oh, we rely on the love of God, it can seem cheap and cute. It's like something you would put on a Valentine's card. I rely on your love. <laughs> But there is something so deep in this. There's something so significant in this when he says no. And we know that we rely on his love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. We are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. Do you know that people respond differently to the love of God? Some respond with a sense of superiority and say, you know, wow, that's great. I'm so glad that God loves me. And The sense of superiority sometimes comes out of your own place of pride and arrogance. And we love to tell ourselves that I don't need anyone. I can do everything on my own. And the truth is, don't get frustrated with people who are prideful and arrogant. God loves them too. His love is not insulted by their sin. Don't forget Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his love towards us. In the end of it, of why we were still sinners, this is, this is the thing we need to get. This is what we need to get. Anytime you, 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 you tend to think that, oh, oh God's love is just, per, ah, his, his love is prevented from getting to that person. It is not. It doesn't, it doesn't 
change because of who we are. His love is unchanging. And this response that some have is in the area of doubt when it comes to understanding God's love. They doubt it. Can God really love me? Can God really love me of all the stuff that I've done? I know, Pastor, you say that God's love is so strong and, it, and it doesn't, it's not restricted by anything, but can God really love me? Does he really have the ability, knowing what I've done in the past? And, and I need you to know that nothing you can do can separate you from the love of God. And that doesn't mean that, oh, man, your sin is so great. It just means how great is his love and how sufficient the sacrifice of Christ really is. And some people respond not with doubt and not with pride, but some people respond with just wickedness. Some people view it as a sense of, all right, well, God loves me. Now I can do whatever I want because nothing will change. I want you to understand that you can't fully understand grace, this unmerited favor, this getting what you don't deserve in receiving salvation. You really won't fully understand that unless you fully understand truth. Because the truth is that your sin costs something. It must be paid for through the shedding of blood. And if Christ didn't die for us, you would pay for your own sin. You would die to spend eternity separated from God. This is why the scriptures say his love towards us is more than just a cute card. It's more than just something on a billboard. It's more than just feelings. It's more than just emotions. It is selfless sacrifice with no expectation of return. And when you understand that that's what Christ did for you, can I tell you something? You think God did that for you by sending his one and only son and in some way he's left you and he doesn't see you, that he's departed from you? That God sees you. Sometimes you can feel lonely and you can feel left out, but God sees you. Even when you're confused and you don't really even know what way to go. I know sometimes it's like, man, I'm studying your word, God, and I feel like I'm good. And God, I feel like you're guiding. And sometimes you just, you can feel a bit lost. And guess what? That's all right. (laughs) It's all right. God's still ever present in our time of need. He loves you so much. And I think if we really understood the love that God had towards us, our lives would forever change. We'd think less about ourselves and more about the people that God's placed in our lives. We think less about what I can get and how can I serve and how can I give and how can I love. Verse 19 is probably one of the most profound verses for me. He says, we love, we love because he first loved us. He loved us which enables us to love. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and their sister. I love this picture of love because for me anytime things try to get cheapened the world try to, tries to cheapen the things of God 
they see them as insignificant. And you can see that with the way that they approach his word. They see no sense of authority in his word as it pertains to marriage, sexuality, gender. They see no regard to it. And I say that because they have no reservation to just take it and discard it and just put their own ideas in it. But when you understand the love that God has towards us, and that things have been in alignment, not because he's trying to force us in ways, but because he has an intensity of love that's beyond words for us. John writes in the Gospel of John in chapter 13, that Jesus is saying this to the disciples and he says, a new command I give you, a new command, to love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. And by this, by this love that you have towards one another, not in your deeds, not in what you say and, and what everyone else is watching, but in the way that you love one another, sacrificially, like having conversations with people, not to just get to the exit door, but conversations with people, calling people, emailing people, FaceTiming people, to say, no, I care about you. How are you doing? For no other reason than to just check on people. Why? Because we just want to love on people. It's so strange to some of us. It's like, ah, oh, I just, you know, why? It's because we've ingrained ourselves not to think about other people. We've ingrained ourselves. If you ask someone to go talk to someone, the reasoning for not doing it has nothing to do with that person. It has everything to do with them. It has to do with them not wanting to. And I'm in there. I, I'm, I'm in the same boat. And, but God calls us to step out of areas of our comfort to demonstrate love. How comfortable was it for Christ to go to the cross for us? Don't ever misunderstand love. Don't ever misunderstand love. That moment in the Garden of Gethsemane is one of the most powerful pictures of love and it was filled with anguish and pain. It's selfless. Love dies to itself for the betterment of someone else. And so next time you're worried about how you might look or feel, just tell yourself it's going to help that person and that's why I'm gonna do it. Push your emotions aside. Some of you are like, oh, this is gonna be hard. <laughs> The Holy Spirit empowers us and enables us to do it. That's what walking by faith and living by faith looks like. A new command I give you. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In a world where everyone wants to be known for something, whether it's whatever they put on their social media or the car they drive or the job that they have or the house that they live in or whatever they've accomplished in athletics or whatever it may be. Everyone wants to be known for something. And in some strange way, we've convinced ourselves that if I'm going to be a believer um, and people are going to know it, I have to do this and this and this. And Christ says, no, if you really want people to know that you're my disciple, there's one way that they're going to know by the way that you love one another, sacrificially. You know why? Because the world does does not do that. The world always has contingencies in place. Well, listen, if I'm going to help jump your car this week or pay for your gas next week, you know, you're going to look out for me, right? We always have these things in, in us. It's who we are. And God says, no, no, love in a way that I have loved you. Do you know why he says it's a new command? Because previously he says, love one another the way that you love yourself. 
but sometimes we don't love ourselves in a way that's honoring to God. We're frustrated with ourselves. This new command doesn't leave the the table or the balance, or, or should I say, it doesn't leave it to a place for you to determine what love is. He says, this new command, I set the stage. I set the standard of what it is. I want you to love the way that I have loved you. He's washing the feet of the disciples. He's getting ready to go to the cross and bleed and die for all humanity and for them. He says, I want you to love the way that I'm loving you. That is the standard of love that I want you to love other people. Can I tell you, it's overwhelming sometimes. It's overwhelming. And you read, he says, in this world, we're like Jesus. It will not be accomplished if we're consumed with what we're doing all the time. But I believe God is faithful to us and with us. Not to be overwhelmed by our failures and say, oh, you're never going to get it. God is ever faithful, always present, always consistent. Never the discouraging father to say, oh, you're never going to get it. He's like, you're going to get it this time. Keep moving forward. That's the God that we serve. So what does that mean for being in family? Man, let's love the way that God loved us. Let's love one another the way that Christ loved us. Can you say amen? Final verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I want to read it to you in the message. It just, it's it's good. (laughs) If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's love with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, And if I have faith that says to a mountain jump, and it jumps, but I do not love, I am nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the state to be burned as a martyr, but I do not love, I've gotten nowhere. So, no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I am bankrupt without love. Now look at me, the world sees love differently. The way that the world sees it, it's all about oohs and ahs and emotion and and feel goods and mm. the next time you hear the word love, I want you to remember the sacrifice of Christ. I want you to remember what he gave for you with no expectation of return just because of his love towards us. And I want you to remember that we're known as disciples, not in what we accomplish or what we don't accomplish, but by the way that we love one another. You bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to pray for some of you before we go. John writes in chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. And some of you say, save from what? The Bible says in Romans 3, 23, it says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it says in 6, 23, that the wages of sin is death. It's death. Some of you are like, well, maybe I haven't done enough things wrong for me to have to pay through death. No, you just do one thing wrong in the eyes of God and you can't stand in the presence of a holy and a perfect God. Hmm. The wages of sin is death. 
but God demonstrates his love to us. This is Romans 5 eight, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10, nine is one of the greatest verses in all of scripture, in my opinion, because it's the moment for you to recognize your need of Jesus. And it says that if you declare Jesus is, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, you will be saved. Salvation is something that cannot be earned. In Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, it says that we receive salvation by grace through faith so that no one can boast. It's not from our own works, it's a gift from God. <laughs> Acts 3.19 says it best. <laughs> it says, repent then and turn to God. Why? So that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Some of you may be here today, maybe watching online and you know that you need to surrender your life to Jesus. There's no greater time to do it than today. Why? Because we're not promised tomorrow. The, the Bible describes our lives here on earth as a vapor, here today and gone tomorrow. And I want you to recognize the love that God has for you. In John chapter 10, verse 10, it says that God has come to give us life and life more abundantly. Life does not begin until you surrender it and receive Jesus as Lord. And in this moment, I want you to consider that. And if you're here today or watching online, you're ready to say yes to Jesus. We're gonna say a prayer. It's a simple prayer, but it's a significant one. And when you're not gonna say it alone, we're all gonna say it together. The Bible says that the other side of this prayer, you're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. What are we saying? We're saying, Jesus, be my savior. Save me from my sins. Save me from myself. And I, I choose for you to be Lord over everything of my life. Come on, church, let's say this prayer together and lead people to Jesus. Repeat this prayer after me. Say, dear heavenly father, I receive your son, Jesus, as my personal Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins and come into my heart. I believe that he died on the cross and he conquered the grave. I am now a Christian. Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Come on, let's clap for everybody. Come on, really clap for people that said yes today. Hey, why don't you stand to your feet before we go? For everyone that said yes to Jesus in this space, in this auditorium today, I want you to know we have a Bible to give you on your way out today. If you're watching online, we'll send you one of these Bibles. We want you to have a, the Word of God um, uh, present in your life, and we'll send you a resource, give you a Bible reading plan. We'll do everything we can to help you in your journey with Jesus. For everyone else, let me remind you, we have invitations that you can be giving out to people and helping them hear the message of hope that comes through Jesus Christ. And so make sure you grab some of them as you exit today. And always a reminder, if you need prayer for anything, we have pastors and people standing by online and here um, at, at our campus. Um, you can go to Next Steps and there's gonna be pastors and team leaders there to pray with you and encourage you in your journey. But hey, stretch your hands to heaven. Let me pray for you before you go today. Father, I thank you for family. God, I thank you that you don't expect perfection. Father, I thank you that you don't discard us because of our mistakes. God, I thank you that we can't do enough for you to push us away. You, you just keep pulling us to yourself. And Father, I thank you that unlike our earthly fathers or mothers, Father, your love and your faithfulness is just unconditional and it just keeps coming towards us. It's inexhaustible. And Father, we're just so overwhelmed by that. 
Father, I pray that you give us a sense of confidence to operate not out of expectations to perform, but help us to operate out of an understanding of how much you already love us before we do one thing for you. And may we be compelled, may we be moved, may we, may we find our movement in knowing how much you love us. Father, protect us as we go today. Keep us in our families, Father. May our families thrive. May they get stronger. May you restore broken relationships, God. May you heal what only you can heal. Father, may we operate in confidence and may we live by faith this week. In your precious and holy name we pray, a faithful church said, amen. Amen. God bless, guys.